What is crack a fellow thermonuclear AFers? I am Dan Valley coming at you with my certified fantabulous co-host, Grant Hughes. Very quickly, if you're checking us out for the first time, subscribe wherever, however, YouTube, Spotify, Apple, cross-subscribe to all those things. Word of mouth, retweet our promos, tell people about us if you've done all those things. And also join our Discord channel. The link to that is in the podcast and YouTube description. Our social handles are as well, at Hardwood Knox on Twitter and TikTok, at Hardwood underscore Knox on Instagram. Grant Hughes, how the hell are you, man? I'm doing great. Uh, I'm really enjoying the All-Star break. Um, I don't know how you feel about that, but like not every year has this been the case, but this year particularly, I've liked the like, the breath we got to take. Maybe you didn't take one, but I, I've enjoyed the handful of days off to sort of like, and we'll talk about this, like sort of recalibrate the season, like take take a beat and sort of think about where we are, like what the angles are going to be going forward. That's like, that's kind of rare to get in the course of a year. So I, I feel like I feel like uh, this is this has been well timed. This this little handful of days off. Yeah, I needed it. And I think as we've been in this business longer and longer, and this isn't, oh, woe is look at these sports writers and podcasters complaining, woe is me. But like, I viewed the All-Star break rather than a chance to immerse myself in the All-Star break as a chance to like catch a breather. Mm -hmm. I watched All-Star Saturday night. I barely watched the All-Star game. Like it was just on in the background and I was paying like semi attention. I just didn't give a fuck. And I just needed the time. And I think players do it the same way. They need the time to just sort of recalibrate, get ready for the stretch run. It is funny, though. And I have zero complaints about this for the most part. And I try to remember that I ask people to come on this podcast, although I do try and like give them advance notice. The radio and podcast interviews just start flooding my DMs and emails and phone as soon as the Super Bowl's over. And I get overwhelmed. And I try to say yes to everyone. And I feel like shit when I can't say yes. Uh, and so this is like that time of year of juggling that I'll get better at being used to doing like, you know, two to three guest spots a day at some point, or just like investing so much more time in a week, but that throws a wrench into your schedule, uh, that again, I'm happy to do it, especially because karmically we're asking people to come on this. We just had the time my podcast on yeah. here this past week. So I, but it's just, it's an adjustment because no one's talking to you cares about you. Well, some people do. I don't want to say, but there's like, I'll get, you know, hits from producers that I haven't heard from in like months and just be like, we're not even like, Hey, how are you? Be like, Hey, can you come on the show today? And it's just like the day of is tough for me now because my schedule is so, and this isn't a flex. You're the same way. I'm sure your schedule is so meticulously planned that it's just the day of requests just don't fly for me anymore. I'm not trying to be an asshole by saying that. I think I probably inadvertently screwed you because a couple of years ago I started saying no like all the time to radio interviews except for like one or two, and so now they've they've left me alone. And I think probably what I, they may have turned to you too. I'm sure you already you said yes more often than I did, but I, that's one of the things I've just. When I say no, I just give them your information. Like Grant is never doing anything. <laughs> yeah. <Go ahead. laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, he he'd really love to talk uh, for like seven minutes, and the longer the better. <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> Um, yeah, I've phased those out. Shout out to, to Pito, by the way. Hi, guys, watching from Italy. Uh, probably a reasonable hour to be watching us because we just continue to go live at 2 o'clock in the afternoon on a weekday uh, sure. Eastern time when no one's going to be watching us. So shout out to him and shout out to Brent who already said hello. So I wanted to ask you before we dig into, we've got a lot of mailbag questions. Uh, I wanted to ask you about the Hawks firing Nate McMillan and just what do you make of that entire situation in Atlanta right now? I mean, it's bad. Like, should we start there? <laughs> That's what I make of it. Well, so, I mean, 
it's the second lever that they could pull, right? Because they shook up uh, management already that, you know, Travis Schlink is gone. Landry Fields is in charge. And there's just like, you know, the whole thing reeks of just nepotism and cronyism because Nick Ressler is, is Tony Ressler's son. And just like, you know, he seems to have a pretty firm hand in personnel decisions already. And, you know, that's, that's an issue. Just that, that whole, the whole structure, the management structure that was changed. And now McMillan's gone. And now your only other option after this, uh, unless there's like another, you know, 2021-esque final East finals run in this team, which I doubt is you start looking at the roster and that's tricky because like, where do you start? I mean, John Collins could not be traded again. DeAndre Hunter, his contract looks bad already. Uh, Trey Young's Supermax is kicked in. He was not an all-star for the, what, the second time in the last three years. So that's the next phase is tinkering with the roster. And I think the last, you know, few months and really all of this year have, have suggested that like, that's not, I mean, that's the last resort for a reason. It's right. you, you go management, you go coaching because this is the hardest thing to, to fix or mess with. So it's rough. Like they're, you know, Atlanta's on the short list of teams. I think that while the upside is still there, there's like, there's significant downside, right? I mean, like catastrophe, like tear it all down potential. I don't, I don't know what you think, but that's how I viewed it really since the latest months, months ago, Trey Young, Nate McMillan, Strife, you know, uh, reports. Yeah, there's just too much weirdness here at this point. And it's the Travis Schlank dismissal or reassignment, whatever you want to call it. It was curious because why did you let him? It happened less than halfway through the schedule. Why did you let him take you through the entire offseason and the draft, even if he forfeited power? Because it sounds like he might not have been in favor of his per the reporting of much of the DeJounte Murray trade. So right. again, that decision is not indefensible on its face. Nor is this one. The timing is just weird yeah. because it's like, I guess you give yourself a chance to start your search in earnest ahead of other teams that are going to make this change over the offseason. And the Nets have kind of already taken themselves out of that equation by extending Jacques Vaughn. And so if you want Quinn Snyder, if you want Kenny Atkinson, which are two names, uh, just to get to, to Pito's question here, which of the coaching candidates in the recent reports are the most intriguing to you? I would immediately, Kenny Atkinson and, and Quinn Snyder are the ones. I think. Quinn Snyder's more interesting from a immediacy perspective if you're looking to win right now. And here's the thing, though. And it's become – there's so many elephants in this room. It's just getting overcrowded in Atlanta. Their offense has underachieved this year. It's been better since January 1st, down since February 1st. They've had a lot of different absences. Their shot profile is an atrocity from a basketball perspective. I know that Trey Young and I know that DeJounte Murray are going to live in the mid-range. But like you need more three-point volume and accuracy out of this team still. Uh, you need better – I guess you don't need a better defensive infrastructure when Clint Capella and DeJounte Murray are on the floor, but can you flesh out those lineups properly? And what is going on with John Collins? Like You clearly don't want him. You say you view him as an asset. You don't want him. He was on the verge of being sent to Phoenix before the Kevin Durant trade. So you have to figure that out. Bogdan Bogdanovich is a free agent. He has a player option. You have to start thinking about Murray's next deal – because he's not going to sign an extension under the current rules, going to hit free agency in 2024, you're about to get, and are kind of already mega expensive and not very good at the moment. You're just hovering around, you're flittering around playing territory right now. And so I, I'm, I think, as you said, you pull this lever, it's fine on its face, but what is the next move? And was it actually the coach? And that's what I'm throwing at you is the question here to me is, is this on Nate McMillan for a lack of invention, for not getting buy-in? 
from Trey Young probably because look, he's played off the ball more, but not in volume. And yeah. so is another coach going to change that? Or is this on Trey because he had issues with Lloyd Pierce? He had now issues with Nate McMillan. There was the report from Sam Amick earlier this year from the athletic that most players on this team would surprise would side, excuse me, with McMillan over young over that whole discrepancy. And that's not territory of what you need to trade Trey young. But when you have executives already waiting for a Trey young trade request, and you've just made this, it wasn't an all in play. When you look at the pick act, when they gave up, but like a, you aimed for a triple or double, whatever it was, they're just in this weird, unsettling, inscrutable space. And I don't even know what the primary issue necessarily is. That's the most confounding aspect of all this. To answer your question, I don't know if it was the coach because like now this is two coaches that, that have just not worked out over, you know, fairly short stints with, with the same core of this team. Lloyd Pierce was the first to go. McMillan, I don't think has ever had a reputation as like an innovator or like a, you know, you'd hear in Portland, for example, that just his defensive schemes were very basic. His off, you know, he wasn't, he's not like a next generation, you know, tactical type of head coach, or at least that's the reputation. So maybe that's part of it, but like, I don't, maybe, I don't know how you feel about this, but I, I keep coming back to the players on this roster. Like we've seen basically this same group minus Murray be one of the best offenses in the league more than once. Right. Mm-hmm. And so the thinking that, well, we have that let's add some defense. You know, Murray is a good defender. Uh, Capella is a good defensive center when he's right. I mean, Hunter is basically like a lot of that money he got was because he's been a good defensive wing when he's healthy. Bogdanovich can play. There's all these just up and down the roster. The talent seems like it should be producing more results or better results. And it has like less, a less talented version of this Hawks team. I would argue, um, I guess your mileage could vary on, you know, Kevin Herter versus DeJounte Murray or whatever other swaps you want to make like a lesser version of this team has won a lot and won playoff series. And fluky as that run may have been, like it was better than this. It's marketing, marketing <laughs> though. So like I keep kind of, I get hung up on the idea that like, maybe it is just, you know, a vibe change. What, however short lived it is, we'll kind of kickstart this and the talent will play up to its potential. And we'll see like the version of the Hawks that I'm sure Atlanta thought it was going to get all year. But Again, like how many times can you just swap the coach out or whatever and and expect a boost like that? I think ultimately, like now the constants are young Collins, the constants are these players. And I think young probably certainly deserves most of the blame because he's the best player and that's just how it works. But yeah, I, I, it's almost annoying, like, because where is the problem? Like, what, how, why isn't this working? What, what is the issue? There's enough talent. So yeah, I, I don't know what the problem is. I think. And honestly, I don't know that we're going to get a great, like a, a, any better handle on it over these next 20, whatever games, like, uh, you know, maybe yeah. they'll surge, but like, I don't know how much you're really going to learn. And it, there's an interim coach now. So it's like, well, how much information are we going to get before they hire the next guy, whoever it is, and, and start next year with us, probably like the same personnel, right? Unless they go, unless like we just absolutely, you know, nosedive the rest of this year and then you have to in the offseason just change out a bunch of parts but yeah i don't know i so my final question to you is i don't i don't have any answers here either one it's just interesting because their their preferred starting five their best five man unit is slaughtering opponents they're plus 1.6 per 100 possessions on the season 
who is do you is there any coach of the names that have been mentioned or one that sticks out to you that you would like to see for, is it just i feel like we're all defaulting to quinn snyder here feels like the very obvious answer i think it is snyder though like and and i guess it, the problem for that is you know utah was you know cre- advantage creation offense where you're running into handoffs and guys are moving and it wasn't really it was pretty egalitarian how's that work with trey young like and let alone another point guard in in DeJounte Murray that you know just needs to be on the ball too so I mean and really I do think Snyder's the best pick I think he's the best coach that's available uh he has ties to the team he's been an assistant there but it's like the things that he wants to do I don't know if that is feasible with Young on the roster so I mean Atkinson I feel like proved in Brooklyn he's a developmental coach like he can you know be a culture setter like that type of thing that's with, you know, mostly young non-star players. That's not going to be the situation he would walk into here with, with Trey. Yeah, I'm, I'm probably totally with you on that front. Do you want to finally dig into, not finally, but do you want to dig into this mailbag, which is uh, the headlining that I use for the, uh, for this actual like video, the full podcast everyone's watching is I'm trying to find the question right now is basically contenders and pretenders. Uh, so where is that question? Why can't I find it? Which team? No. Which team in the conference is? Did, did you remember? Did I make this question up myself? <laughs> Was it a not Dan Favalli special? No, um, I have no idea. Um, but I'll find it. So let's let's get to this first question then from Cole. Right. Uh, how would you fix All-Star Weekend? The game was garbage <laughs> and they couldn't even find enough NBA players willing to do the dunk contest. I mean, I think I would probably just have Mac McClung participate in every event uh, against, you know, whoever else was available. Like, yeah, I don't know. This is the, this really is the most topical question we have. Cause I, I don't know if you saw today uh, like the, the TV insofar as they matter or can tell us anything, the TV ratings were like, this was the least watched all-star game in something like 30 years. And obviously that is just how everything is anymore, but, but that's a problem. Um <laughs> So I guess, like, I guess I like, I, I guess what I didn't watch the all-star game. I watched the, you know, the dunk contest and the three point comp- competition, but not the all-star game to fix it. Like, I just don't, I don't know how, I, how do you make the players care about it? That's, that's the question, right? Because that's, you know, it's a pickup game where there's no defense and nobody really gives a shit who wins. Um, I think maybe picking teams, you know, in the manner that they've done it the last couple of years helps, but unless you can find ways to incentivize, like maybe that's money. I don't think it's a good idea to do like, well, you get home court advantage in the finals. If your team, wins <laughs> that well. would be a disaster, you know, catastrophe. that would devalue the regular season too much. I think. Right. Well, I think, I think baseball did that. I think that for yeah. a while, I don't know if they still do, but, but like, so that's, that's a no go. I don't know. I don't know how you, is it like, you know, the winning team gets $20 million to split up how they want or like the MVP. I just, I don't know what, what you do to make the players care enough about it to have it resemble like a real competitive game. If I'm sure if the NBA had a good answer for that, like it, it would have done it already. So, so I'm, I'm of no help. Uh, FK retro said, but it was also in Utah with way less big stars there as well. So it's a combo of everything. It makes sense. It wasn't watched. So I will push back. I just don't put as much stock into general TV ratings. Right now, I think when you dug deeper, Stein had it that it was still the most watch event of the mm-hmm. night. And it's just like the conventional TV ratings, that audience is just different. It's more dispersed, decentralized at this point. 
I do think All-Star Saturday Night was better than I expected. The dunk contest was a lot of fun, I thought. Mm-hmm. Uh, Trey Murphy third, I thought, had a good run in addition to Matt oh, McClung. Yeah. And the three-point contest is always enjoyable. The skills challenge is a fucking nightmare. That is just a disaster. It's too... Now it was too fucking confusing. Poor Kevin Harlan trying to explain those rules in real time. I don't know how you fix the game. I saw Stan Van Gundy just saying a million dollars per player payable immediately after the game. Uh, I'd go ahead and try it. I, you know, what Shay said was like kind of, Shay kind of said, show me the money while he was wearing like a hundred thousand dollar fur coat or something, <laughs> which was very weird. I don't, I don't know what the answer is. I will say this. And I think this might be an old man, even though not super old cranky person yells at clouds moment. There's this tendency to immediately side with everything the players do. And when it's in, when it's relative to worrying about padding the bottom line for these billionaire owners, I am all about that. I will not applaud teams for ducking the luxury tax. I don't care if you're setting the repeater clock. I get the logistics. I'll acknowledge it. If you ended up acquiring a good player, like what the nuggets did with the KCP trade, where it was like, yeah, you shaved some tax money, but like that was a really good trade for you. Mm -hmm. However, you are also, when it comes to load management, when it comes to the all-star product, you are devaluing the fans who this is actually all for. And that is actually pro labor because that's working class America. And I'm not like, there are still, I don't, I'm not talking about like the racist shitheads who are screaming from the stands, treat these players like uh property. I don't even think Utah was and like Brent saying in the chat. I don't think Utah was the issue. Charles Barkley had the funny quote, like these people here are going to heaven. There's, there's nothing to do here. Do I think that Utah appeals as a market to the players? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. But it's not for the players. It's for the fans. And so if you want to have all these warm weather climates sprinkled in on a rotating basis, Miami, LA, Phoenix, that will draw in more players. But then like every third year, it's in these different, like if you want to try something like that, I sort of get it. But this isn't about where media members want to go. This isn't about necessarily where players want to go. And I don't think when they're, again, I these are humans. There's humanity to them. They shouldn't play injured. I also, I understand, you know, you look at KCP, uh, or was it Desmond Bain, who I think was basically, I don't want to fucking do the three-point contest this year. I get why you don't want to work during your break, because the regular season's so damn long. It brings up a whole host of issues. I just think we're too quick to shield the players from this. It's possible to give a damn about this game and play competitively, but I do also recognize that the risk profile outweighs the reward profile because you're not going to do the dunk contest or play a bunch of defense in the all-star game lest you become a meme. What would John Morant have gained from beating Mac McClung? Nothing. He would have lost a shit ton by not beating Mac McClung, at least in terms of, you know, reputation or whatever. So I get the dilemma and I'm not trying to oversimplify it here. I will just say like, this is not just the league has ruined it. It's just, it doesn't, to me, it shouldn't have to, we need to figure out a way to incentivize players to do this. And again, part of the disincentive is the way that fandom is treated, the rings culture, the memeing everyone. So I get that element, but like, I'm also just like, we don't need to completely inoculate the players here because they are getting paid a shit ton of money to play basketball. And I don't think they need to have this incredible incentive to put on a show for the real loyal fans or even the cash. I'm talking about non-detrimental fans. Like where I'm not going to paint a broad there, there are fans that suck. We get that. Um, but like for them not to feel like they should want to be in the dunk contest to put on a show for the fans, like that kind of sucks. That's just, that's just sort of where I'm at at this point. 
Yeah, no, I, I agree. I, I mean, maybe it's just uh, an unbiased Pistons fan says, I get the feeling that this is what's going to happen with the midseason tournament. Good point. Like that, that, well, it is tricky anytime these aren't regular season games that count towards your record and there isn't a reward that is worth getting. Sorry, pulled it off of there. But, but yeah, like, do, let, let's just go off that. Do you think, what do you think the differences might be or the similarities in a midseason tournament as it's sort of been laid out? Like, do you think that runs is, the risk of being a little all star game ish? What is, what are they getting? It's just a trophy bait, like your midseason tournament. That's all I've seen. That's the yeah. only incentive I've seen. I haven't seen anything that would impact sort of the, you know, like the playoff odds or like where they like, do you get to pick your opponent if you finish? So yeah, I'm very curious because like players, if they're injured, again, I wouldn't expect them to, but like we have reached a problem where it's, you can't buy a ticket months in advance before the season, expect to see Steph Curry as an example, play in his only MSG appearance. Mm-hmm. And it's again, there's real injuries, but I, I do think the midseason tournament runs the risk of becoming this all-star gamey thing. I think what helps is that the pool is just going to be so much bigger. And so maybe there's a chance that like these, like let's use the Kings as an example, who are clearly invested, not so much in winning a playoff series, but just getting there to, if you're the Hornets and you're able to win the midseason tournament, that's going to matter. And so perhaps that creates some sort of entertainment, but I do think it runs the risk because I haven't seen a benefit that would make me think, well, players are really going to be all about this. And I don't even know if, I don't know if you respond, but like Stan Van Gundy saying, give the players, let's apply it to the midseason tournament. Everyone gets a million dollar bonus. I think the midseason tournament, that might work because you guys in the bottom of the roster, they really aren't making much more than that. So yeah. that would help. But like for the all-star game, when the, what is the median salary? Even if you're factoring in rookies counts at the all-star game. Like 25, 30 million probably or yeah. something crazy like that. So, But maybe just because it's such a lump sum and you're getting it immediately. Like, yeah, I don't do we know. have to? Do we really have to pad the pockets of the like? Let's make it tax free, and they don't have to like pay their agents a cut of it. I, like, and let's give it to them all in like singles or something immediately. I don't. I I honestly don't have a solution because I do think that it part of it is in the fabric of how the game has come to be viewed by the players, and so I'm not assigning total blame to them, but their approach to the All Star Game I think is definitely a part of this. Yeah. All right, I'm gonna throw you this. We're gonna get back to uh, uh, actual. I, I found the defining question of the mailbag. If okay, let's do that. Let's do that then before I ask you about this parody question. Uh, <laughs> well, let's, let's go parody. Post me the All parody right. question. Let, let's keep, let's tease everyone. Hang around. We're getting to contenders or pretenders soon. Good job. Good job by you. A tease? Excellent. All right, this is from HP Berge. Uh, how long will this parody in the, in the league last? Uh, Got to think that some of these middling teams will start selling over the next few years but you never know hope it doesn't go away because an 8-1 and 7-2 upset in the playoffs actually feeling possible makes those series a lot more fun um yeah like i i i mean i'll throw i'll throw to you first i I, i'm all about it but i want to hear what you think do so do i think it's temporary i don't because we can say that some of these middling teams will punt but i think two things teams like the hornets and the wizards exist like they're and the bulls they're just going to trick themselves into thinking they could be competitive I also think that because there is less player movement in free agency at the moment, it's harder to see these superstar talent consolidations because even if you're getting multiple stars, it's coming at an opportunity cost that allows other teams. We saw it with the jazz to acquire actual talent and assets and be good right off the bat. I also think the league is just really deep with talented players right now. And so maybe if we eventually get to the point uh, where we have two more expansion teams, that that dilutes the talent pool a little bit. But I really just believe like 
when you say something like a top 35 player, it feels like an insult, but that's a potential all-star yeah. at this point. And so like, it's that's a best a lot player of- on some team, probably. Like, like think about like the Knicks or the Bulls having two all-star candidates. Like yeah. those teams are not, I mean, like the the Knicks are fine. They're fun. They're not, oh, they have two all-stars, potential all-stars. Like Jalen Brunson could have been an all-star. So I I don't think it's going anywhere, especially because the midseason tournament incentivizes you to chase a 10 seed and back your way and say, hey, maybe I can get to the playoffs. And so there are going to be two types of teams that want that. A team like the Lakers, who are supposed to be contenders or operating on this urgent window that need to give a damn about it. Or just teams like who are vested in playing beyond their final game of the regular season, like a Wizards, like a Bulls, like the Hornets, even though they're not even in that conversation right now. So I don't think it's temporary. I'm one, I'm one, I want to hear what you think, but I also, if you agree, what would be something that derails this parody feasibly? Yeah, I, I keep thinking that it's it's pretty closely tied to the flattened lottery odds. And that might just be me making like a, you know, a conflating two things. But it, it does, just at a very basic level, if there are 10 quote unquote playoff spots instead of eight in each conference, it's just a lot easier for all but the absolute very worst teams to decide we're going to remain competitive. Now, like that's usually an end of year thing when, when you really start getting some separation. But like, I do think that, you know, we joke about Chicago and Washington and these, and Charlotte and these other teams that are like happy in the middle or, or maybe they're not happy, but they, they seem to operate as if being a middling team or slightly better than that is a goal of some kind. I kind of just think it makes more sense to run a team that way now than it did before. Whereas like, you know, when the lottery odds were the way they used to be, like just even finishing eighth or seventh in a conference was like death because you're going to get smoked in the first round and you're not going to get the player in the draft that might, you know, up your ceiling over the next half decade or whatever. So you'd be more apt to start tanking if you were ninth or, you know, anything, depending on the situation, like some teams just want to make the playoffs, but I just think having more spots and, and an easier route to call yourself a playoff team, even if the play in is different has really had the effect of, like discouraging just you know shutting it down or or <laughs> i was searching for it too uh conflating is the word of the day um not sure i 100 percent used it right but we're gonna i was gonna say false equivalency but i think that's more wrong um now that's the phrase of the day <laughs> but yeah so is it gonna change i mean if the lottery odds stay how they are based on the case i just laid out maybe not um I, I still think that eight versus one or seven versus two upset might, might remain as improbable as it has been. Um, but I, <laughs> but I, I don't know. I guess that, I guess that could change. I mean, look, if let's say hypothetically uh, Memphis finishes second and the Warriors emerge from the play-in as a seven seed, like that particular matchup, I'm not feeling great about if I'm Memphis or maybe because I'm Memphis, I feel great about everything, but I'm this. <laughs> They're so, fine. Yeah. I don't know. I, yeah. Parody may be here to stay, I guess. And I feel like that's a good thing. And I didn't even touch on the, just the depth of talent in the league, which you did, which I think is a huge, uh, a huge reason behind all this too. Thank you, Jacob, for the commentary on completion in the chat. Uh, Grant, you used it correctly. Uh, Excellent. Kudos to you. Let's so here it is the long awaited question that hopefully I did not de highlight. Which team that leg- Nikola Chev, excuse me, Ni- I'm sorry, Nikol Chekolov. I apologize if I'm butchering the hell out of that. 
which team that legit thinks they can win a championship is an absolute fraud, <laughs> if absolute any. Fraud. Uh, I am thinking the East three and then the Nuggets, Grizz, Clips, Suns, Dallas, and the Warriors. Not as potential frauds. He was listing, they were listing who they think all the contenders are. And so I have no qualms about answering this question. I want to see what your answer to the question is, though. Well, so if I got to pick a fraud from, well, I guess we're talking Boston, Milwaukee, Philadelphia would be the three East teams and Nuggets, Grizz, Clips, Suns, Mavs. Doesn't Dallas have to be the fraud? Um, just because they got worse defensively, they added Irving. We've talked ad nauseum about like the combustibility and the risk and the gamble and the downside of all that. Um, fraud is tough, but oh, of those on. teams... I'd Come say on. Dallas is by far the farthest from what I consider like a legit. I, title think, I don't put, I don't consider, Oh boy, Jacob's not going to be happy. Um, Oh no, he's Jacob's gonna be fine. Look, it's the Grizzlies. It's not Memphis. They said they are fine. In the West that's Jacob in the chat. It's the Grizzlies, but I don't fancy the Mavericks contenders. I don't think they can look at their roster and say, we're a contender. I think yeah. they're looped into that discussion because Luka Doncic is very, very good. And they made the conference finals last year. I don't know how they look within themselves at this roster and think, well, we're going to generate enough defense to win a playoff series, right. even if Maxi Kleba comes back. It's it's the Grizzlies. I'm sorry. This is um, this might be another cranky rant, and also Grizzlies fans should feel bad about it because this would I'm about to be wrong for the Grizzlies for a fourth season running. Your half court offense borders on dog shit at points. You're still in the bottom ten. Too much of your model is let's generate points off our own misses, yeah. which you can't do as efficiently if Steven Adams isn't in the game and there are going to be games in the playoffs where we saw it last year that Steven Adams can't be in the game. And I'm not going to say he's like going to get played off the floor in every matchup, but there are going to be matches where it doesn't make sense. Can you trust Jaron Jackson jr? Not the foul. No. He's fouling at a rate of almost five per 36 minutes since the Steven Adams injury, which is up. I think he was at 4.3 beforehand and 4.3 is still pretty high. Mm -hmm. So yeah, you're talented, but like who is generating you the from scratch looks in the half court, when you can't get out in transition, when you're not cleaning up your own misses, aside from John Morant and Desmond Bain, and your answer to all of this, to this long-standing flaw that was exposed in the playoffs, was to trade for Luke Kennard. I understand that Luke Kennard is probably underrated when it comes to functional shooting and what you could do if you actually put the ball in his hands. Uh, he's sort of like, remember what we all thought Landry Shamit might be as a rookie with the Clippers? That's who Luke Kennard actually is because there's more, more, more on ball depth there. Yeah. What swing piece are you trusting? It doesn't feel like it's going to be Zaire Williams at this point. You're sort of just, you, you have like this like hyperbolic faith in yourself that doesn't make any sense at this point because you're carrying the burden of expectations. And so there's this like, there's this bombast that feels like more pomp than promise for them. At this point, I, and I also don't, I like, and that's what bothered, not bother me, but everyone's saying, oh, what if they, and Jacob mentions it in the chat, if the Grizzlies had gotten OG or Mikhail, then that might change, but they are easily the biggest frauds as of right now. If someone agrees with me, that's fun. OG was a terrible fit for them because he's not giving you anything for the half court offense. Mikhail Bridges, yeah. hell yes. Uh, and there are some other suggestions on teams that are frauds. I'll throw it up there after I hear from you, but it's, it's the Grizzlies. I know they're not second in the West by accident, but this is very much what feels like a regular season team that you might feel when you get to them in the playoffs. But like, I'm just going to throw this out there. Full strength Lakers versus the Grizzlies in round one. Let's say the Lakers just get out of the play in. Are you, 
are you convinced the Grizzlies are winning that in five? Like, are you, are you no. taking, okay. No, I, I think, I mean, I just gave the Warriors example. I think it's kind of a similar thing. Um, so I want to make two points about, about Memphis. And the first is that like, it's still, I guess uh, if you're going to go of the top three in each conference, they have to be the fraud pick. Um, although, <laughs> I mean, is, is Sacramento still third? They are, but they're not in this conversation. Um, That's so like we're just not even included. That's so mean, but, but we're, but we're just, they have like the third or fourth hardest schedule the rest of the way to the Kings. Anyway. Uh, so the Grizzlies, like it's still pretty early, you know, in the arc of this team, um, you know, and Morant is still young, Bain Jackson, like the pieces. I feel like it's easy to get down on them, especially since as, as unbiased Pistons fan notes, you know, John Morant says things like we're fine in the West and sticks to it. And they're 17 and 16 in the conference. Um, it's easy to get down on the Grizzlies and like, I definitely am feeling down on them now. Uh, but I don't want to write them off as like, well, this isn't going to work in the next like two, three years. I think for right now, it's pretty, it's a little fraudy, but the other point I want to make is one of my biggest regrets of this season is that I really thought Memphis was poised to just be the best team in the West, like a month ago. And it's almost like to the second I said that they just kind of, everything changed. So huge regret. They're not that team. I think there's still potential because their flaws are so obvious that it's like, there's no question about what they need to address. Uh, and they still have some of the means to do well, it. There, there might be to them. Maybe. I don't know. <laughs> it can't be. You can't look at your, you just, they, they have cleaning the glass, right? That's the most basic publicly available. <laughs> like they can figure it out. I'm sure their internal numbers also say their half court offense sucks. But anyway, sorry about believing in the Grizzlies. A spicy take from Pito. If the Grizz and the Wolves face off again this year, the Wolves would come out on top. I mean, that's a hot one (laughs) because the Wolves, although the Wolves, I think, are 15 and nine going into the break of their last 24 games. So, you know, not the worst. Um, Yeah, Memphis is tough. I don't know. Um, Here's anything else to say about them. What do you think about this? Is from FK Retro. Nuggets are the frauds. They Mm. always have a good regular season, but playoffs, I don't know. Can we rely on MPJ and Murray to be ready to go and help Jokic all the way? That's a question for you. Right? You that well, this isn't for you because you've been you've stayed true to your Nuggets title pick forever. I mean, that is the question. Like, I think, I think until Jokic and the supporting cast prove that like this is a team that can be in the finals, that can survive defensively, that has enough you know reliable guys around him to just beat the best defenses to handle the best offenses over series that are going to require adjustments. Um, I just need to see it first. Like that's the category they're in for me. Like, okay, great season. A lot of positive signs. I think Jokic is going to win MVP again, deservedly, but let's see like this, this, the playoffs are just this other thing. And, and I need to see it first because like all the doubts are there. They're not like, they're not complicated. We just haven't seen the defense be good enough. We haven't seen the supporting cast be good enough. Um, some of that's because they got hurt, but like that just is what it is. So it's it's I, I I don't know. They're not frauds. It's just they haven't proved it yet. That's that's kind of a different thing for me. I have no concerns about the offense, regardless of what you think about the durability of MPJ. And like Jamal Murray's actually been pretty good over the past yeah. couple months. They were good. Like they were fine offensively without like both those guys in the playoffs last year on the mm-hmm. court. Uh, the defense is a concern. They are eighth in points allowed per possession since December 1st. Mm-hmm. That's a huge chunk of the season. They've also gotten lucky 
they have like a top five opponent free throw defense and newsflash you're not like you know defending opponent free throws they've also gotten lucky uh they've also gotten lucky with opponent three-point shooting during that span but their rim protection has also been awful and so i think when you look at their top end lineups i'm inclined to think they're more authentic than fraudy but i think when nuggets fans get mad at us at this podcast included saying they need to prove it in the playoffs they do it's not an offensive question it's not a question of their dominance in the regular season but as a lot of people smart people point out playoff basketball has never diverged more from regular season basketball at least since i can remember so it's fair to just question them and i like they're a team that's under a lot of pressure because if you do flame out in the playoffs and you're relatively healthy at that point like, what do you do? Like, you have to start asking some really difficult questions. Yeah, yeah. Um, this is, uh, we have this comment that jibes with uh, a question we have. So if you want to read what Corey Elliott said, I'll, I'll find that question. Yeah, uh, Corey, Corey said, I think Cleveland will regret, will regret parting ways with Kevin Love. Stevens and Wade don't bring uh, what Kevin Love did offensively. Yeah, so Killhaus had also asked, Cleveland buys out Kevin Love, who heads over to Miami. Do you think that move has a legit chance of haunting Cleveland in the playoffs? So I will throw that to you. I don't. I don't think it's going to haunt Cleveland. I mean, it's just the Cavs had decided that he wasn't going to play, and and actually, after the fact, it sounded like he was, you know, maybe not super happy about that behind the scenes. Um, so I think, you know, and, and like as a playoff piece uh, on that roster. I don't know. I mean, he did finish second in six man voting last year. So it's not like he was just without uses altogether, but I mean, I don't think it's going to bother them. I do think, and this is getting into a question I was going to ask you later, but I do think he can help the heat. Um, but I think it's more of a, a benefit for the heat than a detriment to the Cavs, I guess it, it is how I would frame it. Yeah. I don't see like, because the Cavs just weren't even using him at this point. They're going to be more inclined to go with like Dean Wade at the backup four than they were. Kevin Love. And so I also don't know how much he helps Miami. Maybe they can insulate him defensively where does he log some backup five minutes? I don't know that I even love the fit with him and Bam in the front court. And it sounds like he has the the chance to start or at least play a lot of minutes in Miami. So I think this was more just sort of if he was unhappy there and people were getting fed up with him and he also wasn't playing, send him somewhere where he's going to not send him, but allow him to go somewhere where he doesn't materially impact your title chances, but he's going to play and be on, be on a good team. Yeah, that's fair. Did you want to pick a question that we have? Uh, yeah, let's do. Let's just do this real quick because it's topical. Uh, Demos Cool asks, "Why, why does Mac McClung not have a proper uh, NBA contract somewhere?" Um, I mean, the the short answer is that he's 24 years old and he's a small guard that has not proved he can shoot or defend or run an offense at the NBA level. Like he's had several, you know, summer league and 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 you know basically, you know, camp invites that just haven't panned out. I think he had a shot, at least with the Warriors this year. Um, he was on, on their summer league roster. Um, it's just like, that's just, I don't know. Is it shitty to say he's just not quite good enough as like an, a full basketball player to to have an NBA contract? I don't know. I don't know if you have some something more revealing than that to, to offer. I'm just like, how much are you, like he's going to have to have the ball in his hands to dunk. Like he has shown, I guess he's shown that he can be like this microwave scorer. Uh, but I I'm with everything you said there. It's I'm glad he happened to be on a two way contract when the dunk contest rolled around because I thought yeah. it was a, a pretty bad look that they were tapping into the, to the G league. But I mean, I'm all for like one of these bad teams and the Sixers aren't it. Like I would like to see him just sign Mac McClum put the ball in his hands and see what he could actually do on offense. But I just can't imagine that he's going to give you much 
defensively or that your offense is going to be um, particularly efficient. This question from Brett Burnett, who are the dark horse teams that can play spoiler spoiler? Is there one for you? That's like sort of flying under the radar that you think could fit that mold. It's so hard because I just, I mean, I think it's a West team probably, but that's just, everybody's so jumbled up. Um, how about this? Cause this, this feels like it will be potentially unpopular. I think Toronto might be a team that if it gets through the play in could potentially, I mean, I don't know if it's, it's so tough. Cause then you're looking at either Boston or Milwaukee probably as a first round matchup. So I don't know what you're spoiling there, but I do think Toronto could knock out like say the Knicks or Miami are in the play in round. I could see Toronto knocking one or the other out and that would be kind of spoilery. I just still feel like, you know, Fred Van Vliet is generally looked more like his himself uh, over the last what, like certainly the last month, last six weeks. He was pretty good in January, shot it well in January, not so hot in February. And then on the thinking that Pirtle does just sort of help solve their interior defense and, and rebounding issues, like, and this is still a team that won 48 games last year. Yeah. It, there's a little bit of the Atlanta effect where it's like, why isn't this working? Like, why aren't the, the, the why isn't the talent producing what we've seen it produce before basically. Um, but I just think Toronto profiles as a pretty dangerous team, uh, you know, against all, but the really like the, the very best teams in the East. I don't know that they can spoil, like they're not going to knock Boston out or knock Milwaukee out. I wouldn't think. Is it, am I off base to still say the Pelicans just like if Zion actually gets healthy with this, what is it? An open-ended timeline whatever he has uh if they're in the, even if they're in the play-in is there anyone that you'd be willing to say they absolutely cannot beat over the course of seven game series maybe the suns with kevin durant but like they just feel like we saw them hit the top of the western conference right for a minute and they've cratered since then and they should be better even without zion than they have been especially since getting brandon ingram back but they feel like they could be a team that has the potential to play massive spoiler because they're going to wind up being with this lower seeded playoff berth, maybe even in the play-in and like they could you talk about like if you're memphis or even if you're denver that's not a team i want to face in the first round yeah. well to that point i mean in addition to just like what do we if you're an opposing team like what do we do with zion if he's healthy that's a massive if but so i mean the pelicans were i think third in the west as late as like the last week of january and they were first at points in december um the other the other thing is like we have proof of concept because it's, it's a tiny sample. It's like 345 or 400 possessions on the year that McCollum, Ingram, and Zion have played together. So not a lot. Right. And those lineups are plus 19.5 per 100, which is just like just the best. You know, it's just an insane. If you if you play that way, you win 65 games in a year or 70 games in a year or whatever. It's just, you know, obviously they aren't going to be on the floor for 48 minutes or for Zion, like maybe at all for the rest of the year. But like, there is, we've seen the upside. Like we've talked about it a lot with how good this team looks. And it's always, well, once everybody's healthy or even when they weren't healthy, they were great. Um, that's a super scary team. I just think like, what are the chances? What's, what's the over under on regular season games? Zion plays the rest of this year. It's like, five? I have, yeah, I have no idea. And they've lost already per man games lost more value to injury than any other team. And that's also kind of like ups their intrigue factor because it's, right. Well, with all the time B.I. missed and Zion and even Herb missing some time, it's like, well, what could like what could they actually be at full strength? It's just, will we ever get to see it? 
All right, I'm going to find a question for you. I should have done this while uh, you were talking. Uh, okay, how about this? This is from Unbiased Pistons fans. Uh, what legit contender blows everything up if they have a disappointing end of the season like the Jazz last year? Um, it's hard to find a team right now that would do it, but maybe there's one out there that kind of jumps out to you. Ooh, that's tough. Is it? So I feel like the answer that I want to give, I'm too cowardly <laughs> to give it, but is it just like, and maybe it's not by like by choice, but could it be Philly? Like, do you put any stake in the James Harden or Houston rumors or just like, maybe they don't want to give him the contract he wants. Uh, so like, uh, it's them or it's like, is it the Clippers? Like if they, if you, you know, you look like you've sort of been, I mean, you signed Russell Westbrook, which was just a very <laughs> curious decision. Uh, curious. <laughs> yeah. Curious. The, the most charitable way I could put it, but I could see the Clippers by choice saying, well, like, Hey, it's not like, this is a half decade of PG and Kawhi just not cutting it. Like we need to, what are we doing here? Is it pivoting into a rebuild or is it just sort of retinkering with the roster? But I, I think if I had to choose between them and Philly, cause it feels like it wouldn't be Philly's choice. It very much comes down, or maybe even would it be, let's say James Harden is willing to stay. Maybe Joel Embiid wants out. And so I, I'll say Philly just because there's so much noise and discomfort there. And the Clippers just don't really have, it seems like Kawhi and PG want to be there. And so yeah. I don't know why you get rid of them, but those are the two teams that stand out to me. What about you? No, like we're really limiting ourselves if we're talking legit contenders, because there are just relatively few of those. Um, Philly was the first team that came to mind. Um, this it, it has to, I think it is the Clippers though, even more so just because what is this? The fourth year now of the, of Paul George and Kawhi together. Um and and Pito says Philly blows it up hard into the Rockets and the Pelicans give up the treasure chest for Embiid. That's yeah, fun. that's that's what they need is having a Zion and Embiid's health bill in <laughs> roster. But the Clippers, like I, other, I guess, like Kawhi's unavailability and missing a year are huge factors there. But we've got like a long time to sort of try to build the right kind of contending roster around those two guys. And I guess they've come close. Like there was a conference finals, uh, I think when the, were they, I can't even remember now. It's like ancient history, the bubble and anything around that. Um, but I guess it's just, it's been longer. Like the Harden and Embiid thing is like, you know, it's what a barely a year old. Um, and there's every reason to believe that that is a pairing that sort of could work with the right pieces. The Clippers have kind of messed around with a lot of different approaches and haven't quite landed on it yet. And just the length of time like that four years is a long time for a core to stay together, especially if their goals are what the Clippers are and to not meet them, I guess maybe that, that, but, but then again, like instead of blowing it up, won't they just throw more money at it and just find more ways to go sign guys and just pay a trillion dollars in tax. I think the other thing is too, is that they'll be able to trade two first round picks this summer, a 2028 and 2030. That's going to be so, some team is trading a 2030 first round pick over the summer. And it's going to be weird. What do you think about this from Brent? The Warriors need to blow it up. Too much pride will hold on to their prize pieces for way too long. Can't believe how much Warriors are paying in the tax. I mean, maybe not wrong, but how do you blow it up? Like, who, how, what are you using to get off of Clay Thompson's contract? Like, yeah, I don't think you blow it up so much as you just investigate trading for, for Jordan Poole. At that point, seeing <laughs> yeah, you're well, yeah. upgrade the roster with a player who not only plays defense but makes more sense for what your core is around Steph. Yeah, I think there's a, a distinct possibility that happens once we're out of poison pill territory with him. 
Um, yeah, I just think, I think the Warriors, well, there's just the two factors. The one of the practicalities of it are like, how, how do you get off some of these contracts? And, and it's not like they have a million picks to, to throw in there and the picks they have should not be used to, to get off of money. Cause then what are you building? Um, and then it's just the whole, I don't know what the, not that they owe it to the core, to the championship guys, but it's almost like, I think there is a concern that, or I'd say there's a preference from the Warriors perspective, probably that like, it would just be nice if Draymond were to opt out. Like if this has to get pulled apart, it would be better if the players were the ones deciding to do it as opposed to ownership and management, just because of the optics of that. I feel like fans would be more annoyed or bothered by that. So, but yeah, I don't know how they're, how they take it apart. We have about 10 minutes left here. So let's see how many questions that, we can still get to this one's from Jake from state farm do the NBA awards, but only for rookies. So that leaves us with like, cause we're not going to do rookie of the year for the rookies. That's basically MVP. It leaves us with four categories. And so let's flip flop here. I'll throw this one to you first. Six man of the year. Uh, I mean, that's a lot. It could apply to a lot of rookies. Cause a lot of them are coming off the bench. It's probably Matherin though, right? Like, I mean, he started the year out on pace to be like one of the most efficient high volume scorers at his age of all time and has leveled off, uh, but is still like a no questions asked, like top four rookie that has been mostly coming off the bench. So I think it's just Matherin. I don't know who else is even in the running for that. Yeah, I don't, I don't really, I couldn't come up with uh, a big one, especially because like Walker Kessler came off the bench for a minute, but that's not going to be a thing anymore. So most improved, I'll take this one. I have Jalen Williams of the thunder just feels like he's been good all year, but there's like an increasing feel to how his game is. But I also, I think my actual pick might be Jeremy. Sowen, just because they've just put so much more on his shoulders as the season has gone on. Right. And like, there's doing so much on ball stuff on offense. And then he's basically all the, not all the time, but he's frequently guarded just the other team's best player. And I think that he's actually looked really good. Well, and also like if most improved, it shouldn't just be like a guy that gets older and gradually better. It should be someone that adds an actual skill. Like dude just started shooting free throws one-handed and made like, made like a ton more. Yeah. He's got like 80 plus percent while doing that or something. Yeah. That's, and he has the best hair as Jacob notes. Yes. No, no dispute. Um, Let's see. I I got defensive player of the year. Um, Although I would say for Jalen Williams, going back to most improved, if you just track like his arc from, you know, 18 months ago when he's at Santa Clara, like in, in the West Coast Conference on a team that's not even really that good against that level of competition to like rocketing up the draft board to making the thunder to, you know, becoming a starter to becoming like the first guy you mentioned after SGA probably like since Shed Holmer is not playing like that's right. That's quite the trajectory for him. Uh, Kessler's defensive player of the year. He is one of the best defensive centers, rim protectors in the league as it is. Um, he can't do anything in space, uh, and maybe that'll change, and maybe not. But like, he's just—you know—we've spent a bunch of time on another pod talking about how like the comparison between Gobert and Kessler is alarmingly similar in terms of their rim protection stuff. So yeah, he's got to be the pick there. Who's MVP? Do you, you want the easiest one on the on the platter? It has to be Paolo Bancaro. He'd be the rookie of the year for me. Who'd be your runner-up for defensive player of the year? Probably be Dyson Daniels or Tari Eason, right? Yeah, I think Eason probably. Would. Oh, look, there it is. Pito says we have seen some of him, but in my opinion, Dyson Daniels is DPOI mentioned potentially. I think if you said uh, like Eason is kind of a weird type of player, but can't you just see Daniels like over the next like three five years? 
like that's the type of defender you want because he can move he can be point of attack he can help he's long enough to switch like I think Daniels has about as much defensive potential as you know anybody in their first couple of years in the league right now exclude rookies I think he just could be like a total game wrecker uh Pito S are the Orlando Magic the next team coming like Memphis did that is a lofty coming unless you think the Memphis Grizzlies are frauds like like Grant <laughs> yeah, I've really flip-flopped on them. I mean, Orlando and OKC, right? Those are the two. Those are the two teams that have been really hot uh, and had just like played winning basketball for, you know, the better part of the last couple months. Um, yeah, Orlando has probably a really good Bulls pick coming this summer too, in addition to its own, in addition to Bancaro and Wagner and Wendell Carter. Um, and Markel Fultz has been good. Like that's, that's yeah. a thing. Um, so yeah, that Orlando's, You'd be hard pressed to find a team that uh, has like a what a higher floor over the next few years than Orlando. I don't know what the ceiling is, but uh, I just there's no way to me that Orlando is not challenging for a playoff berth like next year, right? I mean, I think that's totally realistic. And then just the arrows up from there. Um, what else you got? You got one you like? While I scroll through here, yeah. Let's. You want to do the one from Darkwing Duck? I like this one. Okay. Which yeah. team in each conference ranked one to six will fall into the play-in and which team replaces them? I mean, the East is easy, right? Brooklyn falls out, don't you think? And Miami jumps in like that. That's a good one. That feels that feels like the although like is that shortchanging Brooklyn? Are we are we overlooking the Nets since they have like 75? They have like kind of a goals? defensive hellfire build going on. So it's possible that they just stick there. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I think that's that's the first one that jumps to mind for me there. In the And like I said, Miami could jump in there. Toronto is a little too far back to make that realistic, I think. Um, and additionally, the, oh, so that was the East. What did you have for the uh, West? Or no, that was, yeah, the West would be, I feel like it. Do it. Say the Kings, do it. No, no, no. I would probably say the Mavericks. I could just, and I would put the, Pelicans or the Warriors is the team that kind of replaces them. Just there's a lot of combustibility in Dallas with the addition of Kyrie Irving as they try and figure it out. Yeah, yeah. There's real downside there. The see- Kings, though, I mean, three back from seventh. Like that's not and and there are like wouldn't okay, how about this? Oh boy. <laughs> just come I know we're trying to get out of here fast, but just take the Kings and compare them to New Orleans, Minnesota, Golden State, and Oklahoma City right now. Those are seven through ten. Like are you sure? Like, what are the, how many of those teams finish this season from this point on with better records than the Kings post from this point on? It's got to be two or three of them, don't you think? Maybe. Yeah. I mean, it's a schedule thing, partly. The Kings schedule is really hard. Um, and look, their, their differential is plus 2.3, just looking at ESPN standings. That's not, you know, a world beating number. You've got Oklahoma City at 1.7. So right there, and have just been better over the last month. You've got the Pelicans at 1.4 if they get Zion back at all. Like I just, man. And then the fun, I mean, I mean the Warriors, that's, that's tough. That's real tough. Good luck Kings. What is the second part of this question is which seven to 10 team in each conference is most likely to fall out and who's replacing them. I'll take, let me take the East this time. Uh, I think the wizards are most likely in the East to fall out. And I would say that I guess the bulls are most likely to replace them. Uh, I would probably argue that the 10 teams we see right now in the East, like those are the 10 teams that make the play. And I could also maybe see the Pacers, just a Miles Turner and Tyrese Halliburton are both going to be healthy. I could see them sort of leapfrogging the, uh, uh, also the 
excuse me, the Wizards. Yeah. I guess we could say the Raptors, but I just feel like they have Jakob Pertle. You mentioned Fred Van Fleet's been playing better. Siakam's been in the All NBA discussion. That's just Scotty Barnes has been better with the way they've been using him. I think that they'll probably make it. Yeah, I, I think I think the ten teams in the East are how they look now is how it's going to finish more or less. Like those will be the ten. I don't know what the order is going to be um, for the West. I hate doing this, but I feel like the Lakers are the most likely team to climb in, even though they're eh, they're only two games out of tenth right now um, as we're recording this on Wednesday. I think the Lakers are, they have to be my pick to get into it if I have to choose one. And even though I just pumped them up, I, the Thunder just, unless the Pelicans get no Zion all year, I think New Orleans and Oklahoma City are the two candidates to fall out. Cause I don't I think the Warriors and Wolves just like this season, it matters more to them, especially Minnesota. Like if Minnesota fell out of the plane after what it did in the offseason, can you imagine? Like that's just one of the, unbelievable. Chaotic. Yeah. Did you have a question highlighted that you wanted to get to next or do you want me to pick it? Just pick it if you have one. Um, let's do this one from T bloom one, one seven. The nets are in a very interesting spot this summer. Uh, they can't tank because Houston owns their picks, but they aren't contenders without a one, a superstar. They do have draft assets now along with some young, interesting players. How do you expect the team to operate this summer? And how would you operate if you were Sean Marks? I mean, I kind of feel like we're back at whatever at the Kenny Atkinson phase of development, which I think I had Spencer Dinwiddie involved in that too, where you're just kind of back now to operating like a normal NBA team. And so far as you can do that with Ben Simmons on the roster, like I don't, you know, it's m- most of the contracts that they have, you know, Seth Curry is going to be an unrestricted free agent, Cam Johnson, they'll have that restricted free agency. Presumably they'll bring him back, you know, meeting or beating whatever the market rates are. And then otherwise, like, the roster's kind of locked in. Um, right. Th- so I wouldn't expect a bunch of trades, although like I would definitely explore what I could get for some of my three and D wings. Um, I don't think you can trade Ben Simmons I, without giving up some of the assets you have that you would you, would you trade him just to, if a team is giving you an expiring contract or even said, we'll take him into cap space. Would you do that deal? And I don't have to give up picks. It's just you're taking back an expiring. Like, let's just say Gordon Hayward for Ben Simmons or something. A hundred percent, I would. I would. Um, I would do that if I'm the Hornets, by the way. I would take, if I'm the yeah. Spurs, I'd take Ben Simmons too, trying yeah. to rehabilitate his value. I suppose that, like, it's a it's a possibility that you could get a pick from the right team for him. I don't know if it would be a good one. Um, you mentioned the Spurs, like, or just something like that. But if I could just trade him for someone else's bad money um, that was going to come off a year earlier, I would absolutely do it. I just... Well, you'll, you'll be fucking wild i think there need to be more money involved but like nurkic plus money for ben simmons and then you do what play him at center well no but just like you can go sign a set like bismarck biombo is on a minimum and he's the best rim protector in the league statistically <laughs> you go do something like that you go sign nerlens noel yeah scrap heap. yeah i mean if I, I if you're is it crazy for an nba team to think that we can like we'll be the place that it works out with ben simmons like, yeah, so uh, you just mentioned Markel Fultz. This is a great analogy. Like he kind of went to a, granted it was on the first try, but like going to a market where the expectations are lower and the exposure is just not as yeah. high might do him. Like if you went to Charlotte or San Antonio and maybe even Portland, I know Dame is there, but like it's the coverage just isn't the same. I yeah. think it would, it can't hurt. 
I'll say that. I still think like the difference with Simmons is he's going to make 38 million next year and 40 after that. And it's just like, you can't have a guy that you, that you can't play at the end of games. That's making that much money. It's just like poison. You can't construct a real roster that way. It's crazy. I I'm laughing, not at Ben Simmons. I'm laughing at unbiased Pistons saying the most obvious thing is the Pistons getting another big that flamed out Simmons, Bagley and Wiseman. (laughs) Uh, I'm uh, the Ben Simmons stuff is sad because he was so good. And so I'm not laughing at Ben Simmons. I would like to see him somewhere where he's not going to have such a quick hook like the Nets have given him. And they've just clearly decided that like his utility is limited. And I get it uh, in terms of how they're going to operate, because I feel like I drew, threw us off on a tangent here. I don't think they're going to consolidate, but I also I think they're going to try and straddle this in between line to where I would expect Mikhail Bridges to be there. I would expect Nick Claxton to be there, but maybe you're kind of shopping almost anyone else. Like if someone really wants Royce O'Neal, we've Mm -hmm. seen though that they're not going to be afraid to operate as if they do have picks because when they didn't have picks after the KG Paul Pierce trade, when Sean Marks came in, they just, they obliterated it. I think it was different because the talent here is clearly better that they have in place. I think they'll probably toe a line in between. So if I had to guess, Mikael Bridges will not get traded over the summer. We see these reports of four first round picks, but those four first round picks might suck. Like they're just like these low twenties offers or these picks that aren't guaranteed to convey. So I, I, I think that what they'll be most aggressive in doing is maybe looking to reroute Ben Simmons to try and open up the rest of their roster. But I wouldn't, if I had to pick one, are they more likely to rebuild or are they more likely to kind of consolidate some of these assets into a, let's say a B plus superstar or a one B superstar. And they're like, Oh, well, Mikhail Bridges can be like our second best player on a really good team. I think they're actually more likely to do that. I just don't know that. I think Joe Sy would still push to go that route, knowing that so much of their draft is owed uh, to Houston over the next four years. Yeah, that that's fair. Do you want to get to one, one more here from JT Alexander before we go? This one's kind of jumped out to me. Absolutely. Um, so just the second half, basically, which which players are you hoping has the biggest post all-star leap like Anthony Edwards last year is the example we've got. Like who who do you I get? And I guess it's it's you're hoping has the best, not who do you predict will. But like what would be the most fun to see player X, you know, really start to like pop and, and get, you know, sort of start the uh, the path that Edwards has continued this year where he's like he's an all-star now and and the whole like franchise cornerstone thing is like pretty clearly in place. Like, is there someone else out there that you would say if they had a run in him, you know, down this stretch of the season that would profile as like an Edwards type? I would want, I want to say Devin Vassell, but I have no clue when he's returning from <laughs> Jacobs as Ben Simmons. So this is fucked up. Uh, so I feel like Mikel Bridges is probably a cop out answer here, but I could see it being Mikel Bridges uh, just because the opportunity he's going to have in Brooklyn it's going to resemble what was happening in Phoenix when they were kind of shorthanded, but it, it's going to be like tenfold different where there's just going to be so much uh, like volume and he's going to have more agency than ever over the offense. And so I think he's an interesting pick. I don't know if, if we're talking about getting to the level of an uh, Anthony Edwards, that seems mega difficult. I might be like more inclined to even say, could we just see that from a mellow over the second yeah. half of the year? If the Hornets put together just some sort of, stretch they're gonna have that new starting five that can't defend anybody with pj washington and mark williams and gordon hayward and terry rozier but also makes a ton of sense offensively uh i think he would just be my pick when kind of looking at the top end name that i would expect to play really and he hasn't been when he's been healthy by the way he hasn't been bad 
this season. And since, um, since February 1st, like he's shooting almost 39% on 10, three point attempts per game, averaging 24 points. So like, maybe it's kind of already started. Like he's just gonna, what if he would just shock you if he's just going to continue to average 24 and nine and hit 39% of his threes the rest of the way. So I think that would be, that's just my pick because he's kind of already a marquee name, but like Edwards was already a marquee name when he sort of made that jump. I mean, what if, could it just be Edwards again? Like, could he just be, <laughs> could he just say like, now I'm an all, I'm a permanent all NBA fixture. That would be fun. I think for me, it's Evan Mobley, um, which okay. is kind of in the Edwards vein of like, everyone sort of agrees that he's going to be great. Um, but like, let's really see it. Let's see the scoring go up. Let's see, you know, let's see like a 40 point night. Like, let's see just one of these, you know, he hits like three or four threes even, or he, you know, is, is just dominating on the offensive glass and just really kind of looks more like the version of him we think we'll get all the time in like 2025, just like give us the little glimpses now. And then next year, year three, um, just, you know, becoming like a no questions asked all-star even to, to a level, even above whatever is at this year, that would, that would be, for someone that has used invoked Kevin Garnett and Tim Duncan's names a little too much when talking about Evan Mobley, I would personally really I've like also to invoked him. some Kevin Durant and LaMarcus Aldridge and Giannis when talking about Evan Mobley. So he's just yeah. like this. Would you do you think Scotty Barnes has a chance? I think he needs it, right? Just for the public perception side of I, things. I just don't think they're gonna give him like the same control because it seems like they're trying to really make that and like they've sort of used him as it feels like more we've seen like a bunch of point center stuff, but it feels like they could try to like how does Jakob Pertle's arrival impact that? Yeah, yeah. What does a Scotty Barnes like post break, you know, breakout even look like? Is it playing like point guard all the time, or is it oh look, he's making a bunch of shots now, like from outside seven feet? Like it, that I just you know. It would, it would, he would have to look like a completely different player um, to, to really hit that level. But boy, he needs it. It's been like the year of everyone shit on Scotty Barnes, right? That, that's tough for a second. I'm, I'm still pretty bullish, but I think I might have had him ranked above Evan Mobley last year. And that's just not, I do think he still deserved to be rookie of the year. I want to make that clear. But as of right now, it's just like I probably assign too much value to that rookie season yeah you weren't alone if you bought if you bought into scotty barnes last year this was fantastic we apologize to any questions we did not get to but grant did you want to take us out and uh be sure everyone to join us next week i think we'll still you know throw this up there at this time even though it's not generating a ton of views it's you're here you're asking questions we we appreciate it yeah mark it on your calendars everybody just the most inopportune time to live stream wednesday is at 2 p.m eastern 11 11 a.m hey if you're in italy like pito it seems like so that's, yeah. that's about 8 p.m. That's like fair. So we're doing yeah. it for like, you know, our European brethren. For sure. Spread the word in the European markets. There's a lot of growth potential out there for us. <laughs> um, but yes, as, as always, thanks, everybody. Uh, make sure if you have not already to subscribe to us literally everywhere that it is possible. Uh, you know, YouTube, follow us on our socials, join our Discord. The uh, ways to do that and the links are all in the podcast description Go to iTunes, give us five stars, rate and review us, uh, tell your friends, tell your enemies, and uh, keep showing up to these things. So it makes more sense for us to do them. Uh, And yes, as always, we close with uh, a shout out to the one and only Frank Nellikina and apologies to Evan Mobley's uh, not quite as good teammate, Jared Allen.